But people, I think, get very confused about corporations because of their brand identity or even because of the way a corporation interacts with people on social media. I mean, you see they get in on the Twitter jokes. They get in on the viral memes. You know, they talk about things like self-care, but it's always tied back to participating in purchasing and consumerism. It's not about you. It's about you continuing to feed the money that you have right into their bank account, you know, but people, I think, get very emotionally tied to corporations because corporations have done an amazing job of humanizing themselves. Hello and welcome to Happy Pair Podcast. My name's Sarah Fawcett. My name's David Flynn. And I'm Stephen Flynn. I actually really had to think about that. It was kind of embarrassing. <laughs> yeah, no, you did. And um, Dave, I uh, was just having a little thought to myself there this morning. Um, remember back in September when we were all at your glorious wedding ceremony and one of the many vows you said to your wife was... Uh, you promised to change your clothes more often? Yeah, I, f- I you- forgot this week. <laughs> <laughs> well, what I do, like I always change my vest and my underwear, yeah. but I'm not the best always with you. Like I find I'm so excited about what's going on. Like I get my clothes ready the night before and usually at like 8.30, I'm useless, I'm spent. And then in the morning I just get up my clothes because I want to do stuff. And like I'm not really that interested in But you do, fashion. do you not do that power down hour that Sab Yeah, does? I do power down hour. Yeah, that, well, I'm doing it with Sab. What does power help. down hour? I mean, David. that's a good one. Well, in terms of sleep, so this is a really good idea, which I was reading about, which is they call it a power down hour, which is the hour before you go to bed, you set an alarm. So if you go to bed at 10 o'clock, you set an alarm at nine. The last hour before you go to bed, you spend 20 minutes getting all the stuff you might get stressed about for the next day. So it's like getting your clothes ready. I know I kind of failed in that one. Um, getting your lunch ready, getting your clothes to the gym or all that kind of stuff or packing your school bag or whatever it might be. The next 20 minutes is on hygiene. So brushing your teeth, putting on your jammers and that kind of stuff. And the last 20 minutes is meant to be like lights out, you're in bed and you're actually relaxing like you're actually relaxing so that you fall asleep when you're like as opposed to you know most people going just, to bed at 10 most and people, hoping you know, sleep. yeah most people you're like if you go to bed at 10 like at 5 to 10 you go and you brush your teeth and you have a wee and you put in your pajamas and then you get into bed and you just expect to go to sleep so and how are you doing with this Dave uh, I'm I'm usually pretty good. It was really helping. So like we we got these watches, these watches that clock everything and measure everything. And um, I'm I'm three days into it. I felt it like I had. What's you getting sleep yesterday? Uh, I got eight, 86 86 percent. Good was, job. I'm at the seventy six percent. So yeah, you but it, me. But, but it's, wait, it's, it, like I feel sleep. a bit of pressure. I, I have felt a bit of pressure because I feel like oh crap, I'm like got a sleep exam and like you know when you feel stressed going to sleep and waking up at three in the morning. Oh shit! I, yeah, like, yeah, I, I gotta up, get back to sleep. I woke up and went to the toilet and I was like, okay, don't look at any natural light and then it was like oh I better get back to sleep quick because like it's tracking me and I like I want to beat Dave you know it's funny how like the competitive <laughs> piece to me I want to get better sleep results than my twin I'm going to pretend I'm not interested but- so then he forgets and I can beat him over two weeks <laughs> <laughs> this is the reality of inside the mind of a twin but back to that paradigm sorry so basically it's just going to bed 20 minutes earlier no it's but it's, but it's, <laughs> it's like, no it's not no it's not it's like sleep is like and now I use this analogy all the time it's like landing a plane you can't like a plane is not a helicopter you don't just land it it takes about an hour for you to wind in and most of us are sitting there we're watching action movies or we're watching some lad cut the head off some other lad and then we just go to bed and have a wee and brush our teeth and, and think we'll just fall asleep where it's about like the hour before you go, no screens. And it's like no stimulation. And I'm not talking about masturbation. I'm just talking, because <laughs> masturbation might help you go to sleep. I'm talking about like, actually like, you know, getting all lit up and go, oh, that's a great idea. You know, or that type of stuff. Yeah. Anyway. 
That was good, huh? Yeah, it was, yeah, it was good. A bit of fun. Should okay, we, should we talk about the podcast? This week's podcast is wonderful. It, it's a topic that you know I never thought of the sense of. Oh, there's my beloved word again, Mark Flynn. Oh, you have Flynn, to just brother, give into you. it now. Yeah, just I know, go I really do. Mark Flynn, please forgive me. That's my brother who slags me every week and literally clocks how many Why times I say a sense of. Uh, last week, I think it was down to 10, he told me yesterday. Thank you, Mark Flynn. Really Mark appreciate it. Mark needs a hobby. <laughs> <laughs> hey, he's my coach. Uh, okay, this week, the, the intersection between consumerism, colonialism, slavery, capitalism, capitalism and uh, climate, climate change. change is something that I never thought thought of and this was this is a wonderful concept that the wonderful Aya Bar- Aja Barber has written about in her new book and today we got the opportunity to chat to her about you know fast fashion slowing down finding meaning connection yeah it really was beautiful enlightening really you know I find it so important and we all boiled it down to a couple of key messages which we won't tell you now but we told you at the end uh, really cool podcast Aja's a really inspiring woman um, written a book and she's a stylist and a fashion writer and and someone who's been in this industry for a long while and has been the other side of it where she was a part of fast fashion so she's seen all many many of the multifaceted sides of it and she's a wonderful spokesperson for it. and you but, might go fast fashion oh, I don't buy much stuff and I'm not like a consumer or whatever but this went way deeper into much bigger topics like it, we went in through the lens of fast fashion but we ended up in, ter- in terms of like meaning and deeper societal issues I really found this beautiful and uh, inspiring in many ways but the, the message in this podcast I think is so important so if you really do enjoy this please share it on your Instagram stories and tag us and we'll just repost it and share it to loads of people because this is really an important message and just before we start this podcast I just want to tell you to thank everyone who's pre-ordered a new book it's called The Veg Box it comes out in June the two of the biggest factors in terms of climate change and climate crisis is two of the biggest things you can do as an individual is to eat more plant-based and to waste less food 30% of the food that you buy every week in supermarkets and stores is actually wasted the book that we've written is all about helping you to waste less we've taken the 10 most popular veg and most wasted veg we've done in 10 ways using 10 ingredients or less it's really really practical we're delighted with this and there's a link down below to pre-order and it really does help so without further ado we give you the wonderful Aja Barber woo 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 yeah, I, th- I think that's amazing. I think it's amazing that the five, but you know the way we think of the biggest corporations in the world are Amazon, Google, and Facebook. You know, you might kind of be, yeah, yeah. or Apple, you might think it's those ones, but there's five big oil the companies. There's five big oil companies which are much more like, you know, underlords, underrulers of the world, which are like, yeah. you know, serious polluters, which we don't And really they're know. also a big part of the fast fashion problem because people do not make the connection 60% of the fibers that are currently in circulation are polyester. And that flooding has definitely happened, you know, from push from the fossil fuel industry to make sure that we are continuously dependent on fossil fuels. And so there's no surprise that like, if you go into most stores, you don't see as many natural fibers as you used to. That's been deliberate. Wow, 60% of fabrics are polyester, so are petrochemical products. It's not even a byproduct, it's a product of petrochemicals. Yeah, yeah. And that's anything that's elastic, like socks and underwear and anything with elastic band is polyester. There's some natural elastics that people are coming up with. Obviously, recycled polyester is a conversation, but in general, we got to do something about the polyester problem. Wow. Uh, you're already, I'm, I'm fascinated, but even before we do, I just wanted to say, I love what you do. I really, really do. I think your message is so important. And the more, the last few days we've been digging into it and, uh, we're sitting here very much delighted and honored to have 
time with you. Well, thank you. I'm really glad it finally worked out. I know that we had talked about December dates, but honestly, I just got really burnt out towards the end of the year. Yeah. Yeah, I totally get it. I, I really, totally really get do it. get it. And I I love yeah. your book and the title of your book. I think it's fabulous. And I love, I've never heard or never thought about the link between modern day consumerism and, and colonialization because it, yeah. it really is a variation of it, just a different paradigm on the same action, really. I wonder if you yeah. could talk about that. Yeah, I think the problem comes in the fact that we don't, connect history in schools. We are taught historical events in silos. You know, we're taught about slavery and we're taught about slavery as if it doesn't connect to the systems that we have today. We're taught, you know, the slaves are brought over and they harvest cotton and it was a bad thing. And then it ended. That's not the end of the story. The cotton trade in America was a huge part of the Industrial Revolution, you know, and you're taught about the Industrial Revolution, but you're not taught to make the links between the cotton trade. We talk about cotton and slavery in these very esoteric ways. Like, what were they making all this cotton for? Oh, so that the fashion industry could be what it is today. And so I think for a lot of people, there's a lot of holes in the education system in teaching the whole truth and nothing but the truth. And that's why when we become adults, we don't really see these connections. And I like to try and fill in the gaps, but also I just want to be an alternative voice on Instagram because the consumerism is rife. And I know that it's not making us happy. I know that that's not where we get our joy from. I mean, we can all enjoy buying things, but the speed at which things are sold to us, that's something that I've seen change in the last 20 years. And that's also one of the cool things about being older on social media is that you can really recall these things. And um, I know it's not good for us. I know it's not good for the younger generation. Um, There was a New York Times profile called what do Gen Z shoppers want? And it was like a cute outfit to go out. And, and all of the teenagers that they talked to said that they didn't feel comfortable wearing the same outfit twice if it had been seen on social media. If it had been seen on social media, it, it therefore qualified as old. <laughs> like, And wow. so I just, I know that these systems are warping how we value the things that we buy, how we value ourselves. And I would like to be an alternative voice to that and give people clear and honest facts about sustainability so that when they scroll down and they're served an ad for a dress from a brand that wastes billions of dollars worth of clothing and resources, but has a sustainable line, they can actually go, right, that's crap. I'm not buying that, you know? So that's what I aim to do because there is so much misinformation out there and, um, I feel for people who are like, I don't know where to begin because it does feel like a lot. Yeah, it really does. Even just like literally just before we were starting chatting to you, I was chatting to a friend and I was telling telling him all about you. And he was saying, uh, yeah, I was watching something recently about a desert in Chile, which is like literally as far as the eye can see, just clothes. And he said, it's not just old junky clothes. Like these are like, you know, proper uh, new clothes with labels on them. I don't, yeah. What's the story with that? Tags, tags attached, that sort of thing. Um, the truth is the fashion industry is pumping out more clothing than the human population can possibly wear. The fashion industry puts out a hundred billion tri- garments. 10 billion. Is it- it's a hundred billion a year. Wow. And the human population is only 7.9. 
And then if we really want to like look at who's doing the buying, if we factor in that like 50% of our planet lives on $5 and 50 cents a day, those aren't the people that buy new clothing at all, if ever. And so let's just have the population and then it's even a smaller percentage of people that could just walk into a store and buy something. And so the damage really is being done by richer countries. It's really being done in places like America, the UK, you know, Australia. We're, we have a lot to, to contend for. And that's why I, you know, try and spread the message because I think it's only really a small percentage of the world that can buy into fast fashion systems in a way which really maintains the harm. And so it's us who kind of need to like fix our face first, you know? Yeah. And I think that's where it really links into the sense of colonialize, colonialization where, where it's these poor countries, which are rich in resources are being extracted. Yeah. They got cheaper yeah. labor and then they're brought back to kind of typically the, the higher economically developed countries and they're sold mm-hmm. to them. And it's, it's modern day colonialization. Colonialism. Or and then, and then when we're done, because we buy, I think five times more clothing than we bought in the eighties. So people are getting rid of clothing, you know, every week we put it in a bag, dump it on a charity. The charity is overflowing with fast fashion. So they're only selling 10% of that. And then the other 90% is either going to sit in a landfill. And if it's polyester, it'll never biodegrade, or it'll get dumped on another country in the global South who has not been responsible for the system at all. And is suddenly having to mitigate imports of clothing that is just polluting where they live. Like for instance, Accra, Ghana, which I touch on in the book, um, Cantamonto market receives 15 million items of clothing every week. They are able to sell, I think 40% of what arrives, which means the other 60% essentially becomes waste. It's filled up the local municipal dump. It washes up on the beaches. It, you know, ends up in neighborhoods, As an American, one thing that I know Americans hate more than anything is having to pay for someone else's shit. If other countries were like, let's just ship all of our crap to America and say that we're being so charitable, Americans would riot in the street. They'd be so mad. And so I really feel like people need to understand that that's what we're doing to other countries. And, you know, the system is in place because so many people are buying 68 garments a year or upwards of 68 garments a year and not even really thinking about why we're buying it. Do we need it? Is this item good clothes? Is, is this, is this item of clothing good value? Is it, is it going to last? Is, am I going to wear it a lot? We're not asking ourselves these questions because there's just perceived abundance, but with that perceived abundance, there is such an economic and human cost. Wow. 68 garments a year. That's the average person in the developed world. Yeah. That's a lot. Yeah, six, wow. yeah it is a lot. I'm but incredible. You know it, it sounds like a lot, but it's actually surprisingly easy to do when you think about how normalized, you know, consumerism is in our society. You know, there's literally movies about it, like Shopaholic, for instance, or if you look at any of the cult classic films that I love, there's a lot of makeover scenes. So we attach a lot of ideas behind this, this idea that if you're struggling in your life, if people aren't treating you fairly, if you want to be respected by a certain group of people, 
you're going to need to do a complete wardrobe makeover. And I think we really internalize those ideas. At least I know I used to. And passive buying is made so easy for us. It's like you have a bad day at work. You come home, you're scrolling on social media. Oh, you know what? I'm going to buy this dress that I don't need. Not because I actually want the dress, but because it represents summer days when I'm enjoying myself and not in the dead of winter wearing these polyester work trousers that I hate, you know? So passive buying is something that comes quite easy to us. And I think it's important to recognize when you do it and to not play into it and to also know the impacts behind that purchase that we think is harmless. Mm. Yeah. And it seems to be a huge systemic problem that it's, it's a lot of the issue is down to the corporations in the sense that the corporation's sole existence is to focus on profit at whatever cost, be it, and, you know, and still keep a good brand or reputation, whichever word you want to use. But in essence, a huge part of the problem is that corporations and globalization has enabled corporations to just... They can sue government. Extract they consume su- resources, you know, so that makes the wealthy wealthier and the poor typically more impoverished. And people forget that. They forget that the purpose of a corporation is only to move in its own best interest. I always tell people, please watch the film, The Corporation. It will blow your mind. Um, I just rewatched it recently because I think it's good to... Uh, you know, study up on those things. And I also tell people to read, you know, the works of Noam Chomsky and Naomi Klein, people like that, because they've really been writing a, a blueprint for all of these systems that we see and pointing this out all along. Um, but people, I think, get very confused about corporations because of their brand identity or even because of the way a corporation interacts with people on social media. I mean, you see, they get in on the Twitter jokes, they get in on the viral memes, you know, they talk about things like self-care, but it's always tied back to participating in purchasing and consumerism. It's not about you. It's about you continuing to feed the money that you have right into their bank account, you know, but people, I think, get very emotionally tied to corporations because corporations have done an amazing job of humanizing themselves. Wow. Yeah, it's, it's kind of frightening, isn't it? Like, it's at really least, frightening. It, and in the, in the U.S., a corporation can act like a human in a court of law, like literally. And that's the problem, because as we know, the film, The Corporation, makes the point that if a corporation were a human, it would be a psychopath, you know? It can only act in its own best interest, which means that it is incapable of holding empathy, which means that if, you know, not destroying a part of our ecosystem or making a profit, if the two are weighed on a scale, they're always going to pick making a profit. They are. So I think people really need to, you know, get their heads right with the fact that like a corporation isn't your friend. You don't have to be nice to a corporation and you can demand the things that you want. It's not mean to be like, I heard you all didn't pay your garment workers and that's horrible. Yes, there is a person working the social media and that kind of sucks for them. But I don't know, at the same time, I'm kind of like, yeah, but you are working for a really horrible company. (laughs) It's, it's hard. It's, it, but, but, but it's hard as well because 
nowadays like that expression like that FOMO idea that like we're all sold these ideas via movies and modern culture to have like a new phone and we want mm-hmm. the latest this and the latest that and the newest that and the shiniest this and and we want a holiday here and we want to you know and we're, we're all sold the same American dream and I use that word American yeah. dream but it's yeah. really it's, it's become a global it's become a globalized dream for a lot of people mm-hmm. which is all rooted in like outside of ourselves in consumerism and even like we're talking about about massive issues here such as consumers and we're talking about fast fashion we're talking about colonialism and the, yeah. how they all link back to climate change so there's massive yeah. issues here which we're linking together which is yeah, and, yeah. and and if we were to bring that back to a personal level ultimately it comes down to enoughness doesn't it that so many of us are feeling so disconnected from community from nature from a sense of purpose so that we're constantly looking for extrinsic sources of happiness as opposed to intrinsic sense of self oh gosh yes yes and i think that social media can be a really great thing and i think that it can be a really bad thing and i always tell people changing the way you interact with these systems is a real cultural shift because these systems of consumerism are hyper-normalized within our society. And sometimes when you do decide that these are systems that you don't really want to engage in anymore, you might end up changing friendship groups, you know, because it's so normalized for like, people to be friends with someone who, you know, we hang out and we go to the mall together and then we buy things we don't need. And when you say to your friend, Hey, you know, I, this isn't really my thing anymore. They might not be there with you. You know, I definitely feel like my, my coming into myself in this space coincided with me starting to talk really honestly and openly about anti-racism and let me tell you, it was just like a mass friendship group overall. <laughs> All of those things, people were just like, it was like I had like, you know, farted in the pool or something. People were just like <laughs> swimming away from me as fast as they could. Um, and that's okay because I think it's better to have a friendship group where you can be honest and share opinions about this stuff than hang on to friendships that don't really serve you anymore, that maybe you've outgrown a little bit. And it, it is, it's such a cultural shift. I mean, I know people that would never wear used clothing because they think, ew, gross. And like, I'm not really interested in being friends with those types of people because they can do their thing. But like, I think there's a lot of shame and stigma around like wearing secondhand clothing still. And we need to normalize that in our society. So there is no shame. So I don't think I can really carry the person that doesn't get it or thinks that it's disgusting. Um, That's just not a friendship I'm interested in, but I talk about it as a cultural shift, like as simple as, you know, my partner has come along with me on this journey and we're, obviously at his at, at his parents house because uh, our flat flooded which sucks but while we were down here he had to do an important work call and we left the flat in such a haphazard manner that we forgot half of what we were bringing and so he didn't have a single like nice work shirt and the first thought was i need to get a shirt and if this were six years ago, we just would have gone to a store where we know deep down inside that the ethics are a little bit dodgy and maybe we don't feel 100% about shopping at this place, but we're kind of in a bind, so let's do it. But instead, we went to a variety of charity shops and he actually ended up with two shirts. 
it's it's changing your lifestyle in that way is bringing more options to the table in some ways it might not work out always sometimes you have to get your underpants from the shop that doesn't have the best ethics sometimes it's just the systems aren't always in place where it is that accessible to every person but i think for a lot of us we can make some small changes and those small changes will actually have real impact yeah, and you were, I, I think I, I listened to you talk earlier, or I listened to a lo- good number of talks earlier, but one thing you often talk about is that corporations will always listen to profit and profit is like their holy God. And if we suddenly as consumers start to change our habits and enough of us do that, they will have to change their behavior. So ultimately yeah. it's easy to point fingers and go, oh, it's their fault. They should change. But ultimately it comes yeah. back to each of us and everyone listening as individuals that if we start to take more responsibility on the individual level, it adds up. How do you get laws passed if actual citizens don't care about the subject matter? Because this this industry needs some regulation. It needed it 10, 20 years ago. And now I think we're getting to that point. But people that say, oh, it's the corporation, they should be regulated. How do we get there if there's no interest? How do we get there if there's no cultural shift? We don't. It's never, no lawmaker is ever going to say, I'm going to regulate this industry, even though none of my constituents care about it. And so I think people need to realize it's all the things. We can have these conversations about whose responsibility it is, but similar to solving the climate crisis, I don't think there's one magic bullet solution for all of these things. I think it looks like consumer change, cultural change, pressure, regulation, taxing corporations who pollute, you know, there's all sorts of things that need to happen, but we can't just put this on someone else. Because when I was a fast fashion shopper, I was definitely the person buying 68 garments a year. That was on me. I didn't have to participate. Now, obviously society sent little messages and pressured me to participate, but there was just a moment where I just realized I don't actually have to do this. And it was like the most moment of my life. The moment when you unsubscribe from all of these apps, it feels scary at first because we've been taught that consumerism is such a big part of our identity. And at first you're like, who will I be if I'm not participating in this thing that I've been told that I'm supposed to like? And then a week goes by and you realize that like your brain feels like there's a bit more clarity and you're not feeling this pressure of always looking for the next thing and you're digging into your wardrobe and pulling things out that you've not worn in a while and rediscovering that actually this is a really good garment. And before you know it, you're feeling really happy and thinking, oh, I wish I had done this sooner. That was my experience at least. And I get a lot of messages from people that say that they have a similar experience. Yeah, yeah, yeah. totally relate to Well, it's friend. a bit like minimalism or any of those things. What were you going to say? A, a friend, Yori, um, he always had, he's originally from Belarus and um, has this expression that I, I can't afford not to buy good quality. And I think that's often forgotten in modern day consumerist culture. We sell, seldom purchase for quality. Like Dave, at the moment. Can, was, I, can I tell my story? Oh, yeah, yeah, go yeah, for yeah. it. Yeah. Like, and it literally only happened this morning. Like uh, my wife, it was my birthday and I. Happy uh, birthday, David. It was my, that was. Happy uh, birthday. Was, well, that was like Stephen's birthday too, because we're twins. <laughs> 
times, but it was in December. It was like the 12th of December. And I, I still had the same jacket that our parents got us for our 21st birthday. So like it had been 21 years that I had this jacket and it was kind of hanging off me and it isn't warm anymore and it lets the rain mm-hmm. in and it isn't like a real winter jacket anymore. And I'd been kind of getting by with old jackets that I'd been kind of had around and and uh, and I kind of always wanted to have a warm jacket. So my wife bought me like a warm jacket for my birthday present. It was like, oh, amazing. And I put it on like it's super warm and all, but it didn't really fit or whatever. So I sent it back and got a smaller size. And then I got the smaller size only this morning and I put it on again. And I, I don't know, it just didn't quite feel right or whatever. And And I think part of the reason is because of this idea that like, you know, like the jacket's really nice and it's warm and it's waterproof and all these mm-hmm. things, but it's like 300 euro. And when mm-hmm. I dig in a little bit more into the company that it was bought from, I'm kind of going, I don't know if I want to support this. Like, whereas yeah. I can go into, I can go into Ruth and Shawnee's Finder Keepers and Bray and get a secondhand jacket that's probably could be just as good at a fraction of the price. Yeah. And it's supporting a system, which is much more in, in, yeah. in keeping with my ethics, as opposed to, you know, being a, a product of fast fashion. Absolutely. I think um, this idea that you should want that product, like that's been sold to us for sure. You were going to say something? Yeah, I'm sorry. I was more going to say about (laughs) almost modern day society. I look at my kids. I have three kids. There's Ned's five, Theo's eight and May's 11. And even Sarah was saying it earlier how Ned's five and he jokes to Sarah that when I'm 15, Sarah, I'm going to buy a Tesla. So like, it's just, it's our culture just feeds consumers. It breeds us. And it's like, yeah. but, but, even, we, but even I remember when you were a kid, you used to say to mom, I'm going to buy you a porch. You used to call it, not a porch. I'm going to buy you a porch when I'm a big businessman, <laughs> mommy. When I play football for Manchester United, I'm going to buy you a porch. <laughs> so like you said the same thing. Okay. So, so I wonder then if that, that's actually true. And that was, you know, 35 so years ago. So back in your box, Stevie. So like, I wonder. You know what? I think, I think this impacts little boys more than girls, because I remember the first person who told me what a millionaire was, was a little boy. It was like, do you know who so-and-so is? And I was like, no. And then I was sort of made to feel like silly for not knowing. Well, you don't know. This person is the richest person in the world. And I almost feel like in this way, this this focus about like money and wealth as being like the end all and be all of our society some kids are completely clueless about it. But I think with the popularity of social media, I think that's becoming less of the thing for sure. Um, But yeah. There was a great, a great um, awareness, which I was reading stuff that you'd written and I was reading, digging into your book. And there was one awareness, which you said was our parents and our grandparents did not shop the way that we shop today. And, and I just like, and maybe like, if you could talk about that and about like slow fashion, because many of us have the idea that sustainable fashion should be, it should just be the exact same as fast fashion. It's, you know, we want the same prices. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah. So, um, you know, I grew up in a parent who definitely, I grew up with a parent who definitely grew up on the poverty line. And this idea that one, poor people want fast fashion and bad quality stuff is just so wrong. But people will use that. They'll use this idea of poor people to defend keeping the system of fast fashion going, which exploits people who are truly impoverished in our world. Um, But I always tell people, you know, not everyone who, you know, is without funds wants to buy crap disposable clothing either. You know, my mother 
grew up without much and she's never bought fast fashion because she always used to tell us like, why are you spending money on this crap clothing? Like my mother is someone who has shopped at charity shops my entire life, much to my horror as a child who was like, why are you so weird? You know, but she was always someone that was like, I would rather go to the charity shop and get a gently used Patagonia jacket then go and buy something from a fast fashion store that isn't anywhere near as good of quality. And so my mom is definitely someone that I, I reference a lot in my work, but, you know, shopping this way isn't something that our parents or grandparents did. And it wasn't even something that I did in my childhood. I mean, I'm definitely, um, an older millennial. And I remember the start of the school year, like, if you outgrew your jeans, you get a new pair, but any item of clothing that still fit, you would be expected to wear that throughout the school year. And you didn't really get new clothing unless you were actually growing and really needed it. But now a 13 year old can go to Shein and spend, you know, $300, which I also don't know where these kids are getting that money from. And then like post on social media that they got like, you know, 40 different clothing items, which will then make other 13 year olds feel like they too need to spend $300 at Shein. So they too can post on TikTok that they got this amount of clothing. And so I see exactly how this works, but this was never the norm. It wasn't even the norm when we were kids, you know? Yeah. Shopping was never a hobby. Like you, you had hobbies and shopping was something you had to do so you could do your yeah. hobbies. Whereas now shopping has become an end of itself. Like I love shopping. That's my hobby. Yeah, absolutely. And I, you know, I think people will also say they love fashion, but sometimes it's like, do you love fashion or do you love shopping? Because mm. if you love fashion, you can seek that out through reading and learning about designers or making clothes, making clothes and tailoring clothes, changing, mending clothes and adapting clothes. Absolutely. Uh, upcycling clothes, that sort of thing. Hmm. I think, um, you asked me to speak on, you know, what people are expecting of this new system of sustainable fashion. There's this weird idea that if you want to participate in sustainable fashion, you have to run out and get all the sustainable brands and replace all your clothing with it so that you can then put on social media how sustainable you are. And look at me, I've got all the sustainable brands. That is just ridiculous. And that's an attitude that people take. And then it sort of defeats people from trying. But the reality is, I tell people all the time, I wear my old fast fashion because if I were the person that decided to get rid of everything in my wardrobe because I no longer want to be a part of the system, I would be participating in the system in that very action and taking all that clothing and needlessly dumping it onto a charity shop, which then makes it the charity shop's problem. So I always tell people, you should wear the old fast fashion that you have, especially if it still fits you, if it still works, if it's still comfortable, if you still like it, you should definitely wear it. We don't have to feel, you know, no better do better. But there were times when people didn't know better and that's okay. I'm not here to like judge you and like finger point at you and make you feel bad about that. I think it's worse to be the person who pretends like you never participated in the system when you probably had a closet full of fast fashion, which you just made someone else's problem. But for me, a truly sustainable landscape, you know, if, if you want to participate, 
to pay. It looks like wearing the clothing in your wardrobe. It looks like playing around with secondhand options when, you know, you could do that. And there's, it's becoming more popular. It's becoming easier to do it online. I know it's been hard in a pandemic. Um, it looks like supporting sustainable brands when you can. It, it is more expensive because we've been tricked to believe that the prices that we see on the high street aren't built on the backs of exploitation. But anytime someone makes a $5 dress, someone somewhere has paid the price for that dress. We're not paying for it. The company's not paying for it. The person that didn't get paid fairly for their cotton or their labor is paying for it. But that price always gets paid for by someone. So it looks like, you know, moving away from the parts of the bad system that you know you no longer have to participate in, making do with what you have, repairing, upcycling, swapping with friends. And then if you, you know, find that you can support the sustainable brand, do that for sure. As I was the person who bought 60 items of clothing a year, there's a part of me that always tells people, be honest with yourself. You know, when I was that fast fashion shopper, I would say, oh, well, you know, I just, I shop this way because I can't afford better. But if you're buying 68 items of clothing a year, you're actually spending a lot of money. And that's the median. That's not the high. So there are people that are spending way more money and buying way more clothing items than that. Be honest with yourself. Like if you can drop $500 on a Shein haul, you can afford sustainable brands. And that's the problem is that I think we do this thing in our society where we don't talk about wealth and we don't talk about money. And it's a very convenient thing that people do where they go, oh, well, I'm poor and that's why I shop this way. But if you are the person that requires a new wardrobe every season, I would argue that you probably aren't really poor. And maybe it's you who shoulders some of the burden of making some changes here. Totally agree. How do we make it sexy? Because it sounds like part of the solution is like, as you said, like 13 year olds or any kind of people like going on social media and going, I just spent loads of money and I bought a whole new wardrobe. And like, they're making it kind of desirable that this is what others should do. It's almost like as a society, we celebrate that. But but it's almost like we've got it. How do we shift as you've got in your book? We have to make it uncool. We have to make it uncool. We have to make it... I don't know if we make it uncool. I think we've just got to make mm-hmm. the other really, really damn cool. Like we really do. Yeah. We have to make it super cool to like learn how to knit or how to fix your clothes or how to go shop in secondhand but stores or how to. I would argue that that is definitely happening. I mean, we talk about knitting. Think about like, um, do you remember when Harry Styles wore this like knitted sweater from J.W. Anderson and then J.W. Anderson released the knitting pattern so that people could knit the sweater because it was so popular and, you know, not everyone can afford to spend the amount of money that Harry Styles can spend on wardrobe. So you had all of these people knitting this beautiful sweater. um, And I think that that's a part of this movement. I think that within the slow fashion movement, there's already really cool things happening. You have people like, you know, SZA talking about sustainability. It's really, it's taking off. It's just slow because it is a huge cultural shift and a very, very hard pivot away from everything we've been taught. But I think the roots of making this the cool thing, I think it's there already. It's just, it takes time to implement. It takes time. But I also think it's talking to young people and having honest conversations. They're the next generation of consumers. So like asking young people, okay, but why do you want this? Why do you want a Tesla? Can we unpick where that desire comes from? Can we unpick why you think that Molly May is a role model? 
what what's the messaging behind that? Because I don't think that we talk to young people enough about consumerism. And I know that we don't, because when I was growing up, kids would tease you for your clothing. And like that never should have happened within a school system. And I'm sure that still happens today. That's what we really need to tackle, because if we tackle that, then we change the next generation of consumers for sure. And we need to tackle social media. Absolutely. Yes, yeah, like we need to, as, an, as a society, celebrate more individuality. Like it seems so many of us want to wear the same, the new season thing, look new, look, you know, this type of thing. But ultimately, mm-hmm. if we start buying secondhand and doing it up and upcycling, we're ultimately far more unique because no one's going to have done the way you did it because you put your own slant on it. But I think then that's, that's, yeah. that's back to slow. Like it's back to, you can't go out and get a quick dopamine hit. Like, you, you know, like part yeah. of it's back to our emotional needs. Like people are using- Beyond cons- instant gratification and into actually earning meaning. that kind of, earning meaning and earning that sense of purpose. It's, and It's very hard because as Naomi Klein points out in the book, No Logo, corporations have a way of taking any sort of grassroots thing and milking the joy out of it and turning it into a moment of consumerism. And I don't really know what the answer is for that. I mean, you see it when a pop star or a reality TV star wears something that is vintage, which good for them. Good job wearing vintage. And then the fast fashion brands rip off the vintage design so that people can have exactly what this person is wearing, not realizing that like, it's about wearing vintage. It's not about wearing exactly what this reality TV star is wearing. You know what I mean? So like, it's hard because anything that feels genuine, I always feel like corporations have a way of sort of jumping in and just pulling all the joy out of it in order to continue to farther their profit margins. And I don't know what the solution is for that, but um, we have to change what we celebrate in our culture for sure. Yeah. May, may I pipe in with the idea, like, like, as you said, Steve, like, I think it's about if we can find more meaning, more meaning and more depth, more connection to ourselves, as you said, intrinsic. And I remember I was reading a book. It was, um, it was about digital minimalism. It was a really, really wonderful book. And it was about that where many of us are addicted to our phones and all the, you know, notifications and the instant dopamine and social media, we can scroll and, you know, it creates all these, you know, it hijacks our hardwiring quite a bit. And he kind of talked about like, the author was, it was a really wonderful book. Cal Newport. Yeah. And he talked about that, like part of the reason we're getting so hooked into these things is that we don't have enough hobbies and we don't have enough meaning that these, you know, part of this is. And I wonder back to the consumerism, like, it seems like it's the same root problem here that if many of us had more purpose and meaning and and maybe the purpose is like trying to save the planet because, you know, it's a bit like I watched that doc, that movie, which is getting like, it's got mixed reviews and that one don't look up and it's, it kind of makes it, it's, it turns it into a black comedy that we're all almost like moving deck chairs around the Titanic, you know, Mm -hmm. while instead of trying to stop the ship from sinking, you know, I, I think, yes, I could, I completely agree. And I think we do need more, more purpose, more hobbies, more joy. And, you know, I think I write about that in the book when I started dancing ballet and I really, you know, went at it hard as an adult, which is, you know, not that common, starting to become more common. I found myself at an impasse where I said, okay, ballet, I I have to pay for these classes. 
would I pick ballet over buying fast fashion? And when I realized I absolutely would hands down, that was when I knew that I had made some true progress in my way of thinking. But I also think our society treats hobbies as if it's something that only rich people can participate in. And maybe we need to get away from that as well. And I don't really know what the solution is, but to go back to like talking to young people, um, when I was home, I was hanging out with my niece and she's 10 and she is very much impacted by social media. As a matter of fact, she said to me, vintage is so in. And it's so funny. I've not seen her in two years. She was eight when like I, um, you know, when I, when I left and the last time I was home and, uh, to see how TikTok and trends and whatnot are suddenly starting to like seep into her psyche. And so when I was home one day, we, we went to the mall and I walked her into a store, which I would never support because they are on the pay up list. Um, but they are quite like young oriented urban outfitters, not a great company, but they definitely get some of the best talent out of art school to curate, to be buyers and to make the store just a, you know, place of youth culture. And so I wanted to know what my niece wanted and, and what she was into. So I said, well, let's, let's walk through here. And she was going through and picking up things off the display and going, oh yeah, these are so cool. Bucket hats are so cool. Yada, yada, yada. And um, we went home and my parents definitely operate on like hoarding light for sure. So I still have a lot of stuff from when I was in high school. And some of it I kept because I knew that it would come back one day. So we go back to my parents' house. She lives down the street and I'm going through my drawers and I'm pulling out bucket hat from when I was her age. And I'm like, wear this. I'm pulling out t-shirts from 1999, 2000, shrunken baby tees that fit her perfectly the type of thing that Urban Outfitters would sell today in vintage would charge someone $40 for it. Pulling those out, wear this with this, wear this with that. We'll get you some secondhand like wide leg jeans. That's an outfit, you know? And her eyes are just like, you mean to tell me that I could actually just buy authentic vintage stuff instead of going to the store where they put it all together and overcharge me for it? So the rest of the time that I was there, she was wearing all my old T-shirts and getting a real feel for that. And I could see her realizing that she can have style and it doesn't have to involve going to the mall. Now, she is really fortunate to have an aunt who is a fashion writer and a stylist. Not every kid's going to have that at their disposal. But having those sorts of conversations with people, I think that's how we change the game. You know, taking a young person thrifting and getting, helping them to understand, you know, just that you don't have to, you don't have to participate this way. I think that's what really needs to change. And we need to get them to understand why these systems are bad and why, you know, maybe you don't have to do the things that your friends do. There's a t-shirt in there actually by an Australian brand called Mooks. And it was one of my favorite t-shirts and now she has it and it has like a typewriter on it. It's still really cool. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and, and it's, it's, it's almost like, you know, the way like, like we all learn, like we're apes, we, we're advanced apes and we kind of model our parents and the culture and the society around us that we don't question. Like when, when I was little, like we didn't, 
buy much new stuff because it wasn't what we did or whatever. But I like mm-hmm. nowadays, I just never buy anything. Like I just don't buy clothes. I'm not a fashionable person and I'm not a kind of stylish yeah. person. I have my own. I, I think you're very stylish, Dave. Thanks, Steve. You're <laughs> very charming. But the thought of going into shop and spending 50 euro on a t-shirt is like crazy mm-hmm. to me, no matter what name it says on it. And it's like, yeah. I don't know where we kind of like, like the actual inherent value of the thing is is not is not relevant in most cases because most of us are trying to buy a feeling that kind of feeling yeah. that sense of kind of like I am worthy or like we're, we're trying to buy an emotion that I am good enough I've bought something yeah. new like it's almost it's almost like it's almost if like I think a back sense to the psychology of, of like it that, that you're you're purchasing a sense of I'm worthy of a new t-shirt of something new is that is yeah. that what, I'm just trying to understand like, like, what it is because it's because yeah, I, I think I think it's there. I think we're taught that like purchasing new things is a way of rewarding ourselves. That's what I think. Like, like chocolate bars, a reward. It, part of fitting in with the right people is to get new things. That sort of thing. I think there's all sorts of conversations there, but that doesn't replace, you know, the joy of I'm wearing my aunt's vintage T-shirt and it has a story behind it. Yeah, you know? the stories are the things. That yeah, really kind it, of hold us. Like when I think of, I've still got a pair of pants. They've got like holes all over them. They've got like the biggest hole in the crotch ever. Like I, I couldn't wear them anymore. Like I bought them when I was 20 years old in Guatemala and they're like, they're mad looking pants and they got holes all over them, but I still won't throw them out because they've got this story and there's so many inherent memories in them. Yeah. Whereas you don't I, get that from stuff you buy in a store. You don't generally. get that from fast fashion and you don't get that from the disposability culture surrounding fast fashion. You just don't, you never will. And we get so far away from who made the clothing. I know that when I shop from a small independent brand, that if I wanted to call them up and ask them who made my item, they could tell me. But with the fast fashion supply chain, sometimes your garment might pass through as many as 50 different sets of hands before it reaches you. So it's very... I, I find when there's that much going on, it's hard for us to attach humanity to the pieces. And that might be a part of the problem as well. Yeah. Like if we're to start looking at solutions right now, I think a huge part of it is, and, and it's a solution to globalization, it's localization. It's having a local person who can fix zips, fix clothes, change clothes, alter things, having a vintage store, having a second store, having a kind of art school or something that celebrates this diversity and this sense of freedom can, and wanting to express yourself differently rather I, than just, yeah, sorry. Can I say Cant- Cantamontos, are, Cantamontos are already doing that. They are the prototype What's of it called? what our secondhand, Cantamonto Market in, in Accra, Ghana. It's in consumed. Um it's uh, where the oh, the Orr Foundation works out of. So in Accra, and where's Accra, Ghana? Excuse my ignorance. Sorry, Ar- in Ghana. Oh, in Ghana. Accra. Okay, wow. Ghana. Oh, yeah. In, sorry, in I'm Ghana. Wow. Accents in Ghana. Um, so Cantamonto Market, which is arguably the largest secondhand clothing reseller in the world because of the amount of clothing that comes through. Like geographically speaking, the market is not that large, but the amount of clothing that they're dealing with is a large amount. It is a microcosm of exactly what you're talking about. You can buy a garment and you can get it made to measure in that market. You can, you can, there are people that will dye the clothing for you. There are trim shops. So if you want to add a trim to something, there's tailors, there's screen printers. You can buy a garment and make it perfect for you, an individual, all within Cantamonto. And that's the type of thing that 
we and the rest of us in the global north should be modeling. We should have those systems available. And, you know, I tell people all the time, I get this message all the time from students. My school wants to make t-shirts. Um, and I've tried to tell them that, you know, free t-shirts are a part of the problem. And it is 25% of the garments that arrive in Cantamonto are always free t-shirts. So like that t-shirt that you get for running a race that you don't want or a participating in an organization fundraiser, that does not need to be made. It ends up being someone else's problem. I always tell people when they ask me, you know, what should we do instead? I always say, tell people to bring a t-shirt that they already have and set up like a mini screen printing area where you can like screen print the t-shirt or do something different with it, recreate it, reinvent it. That's way more fun than everybody gets a new t-shirt with a really bad logo that they don't like. Yeah, it wow. seems like a huge part of the solution is to slow down as a society. It's almost like we're, it's fast fashion. The very like adjective is fast, whereas like the antithesis yeah. is slow fashion. And it's, if we go yeah. slower, we might actually connect ourselves to our own individuality to actually start to express that. If we go slower, like as an example, I was just thinking there, we have these jackets that we wear going to the sea. We swim in the sea every day at sunrise. And because it's down at the sea, the salt water lands on the zips. The zip typically over time corrodes. And I've had that jacket for about a year now and I've wanted to get the zip fixed, but it's actually easier for me to buy a new one than it is to get the zip fixed. And that's just an expression of our society. So I haven't got it fixed because I have to go to the next town to get the zip repaired. I will do it eventually, but it's just that society makes it easier for us to buy new than it does actually mend, Absolutely. fix, repair, whereas that's we need... Yeah, we that need is planned obsolescence, planned obsolescence at its core. But there's solutions for that. There's an app called Sojo that is a repair app. And I think that they're really cool. Their founder is young and black, and it's all about encouraging people and making it easier for people to repair things. So say you do have a jacket, um, sign on to Sojo, say, I want this repaired. They'll help you get it repaired in a way that isn't as you know, challenging is you having to sort it out yourself. So we do have these solutions. It's about changing the culture of, you know, planned obsolescence seeping into the ways in which we buy clothing. Because it's true. I remember, you know, being like, well, the zipper broke. It's, it's cheaper and easier to just get a new pair of jeans instead. But that's what needs to change. But it's across, like, I think you've hit the nail on the head for me anyway, that idea of slowing down across every aspect of my life. It's not just fast fashion. Like what we're talking about now are some of the biggest issues of our times, like climate change, globalization, consumerism, slavery, and fast fashion and slate. Like those are massive things. Like, and one definite kind of thing is to, if we're, if we slow down and are much more mindful of what we consume and how we consume it and our own yeah. mental health and what, what, what is good for us. And you talk about boundaries and there's so many different things that are aspects of slowing down. There was one thing you mentioned there you mentioned pay up list and mm -hmm. i'd love to know more about that and what that is yeah so the pay up list is run by an organization called remake and basically at the beginning of global lockdowns so we saw that sort of happen in the uk where i'm at in you know march of 2020 when that happened all of these brands some of which were the most powerful brands in the world started to sort of pull away from garment makers and say, oh, you know, we're not going to pay for this. The way the fashion industry works is clothing that you see in stores is usually processed and produced months in advance, sometimes up to six months in advance. It just depends on the company and the timeline. So for a lot of these companies, they had already ordered 
billions of dollars of spring clothing from garment producers in, in Bangladesh and parts of Asia and uh, Vietnam, Cambodia, India. And a lot of these brands, because they hold all the power in the system, even though they pretend like it's a fair system, you know, started going to factories and going, oh, Pakistan as well, going to factories and, and just saying, oh yeah, well, you know, we're not gonna, we're not gonna buy this clothing anymore, you know? And that's, they, they've got the power to do that. They can walk away from a factory whose entire existence hinges on them paying for these 2 million items of clothing that they've ordered. And, and so a lot of big brands thought that they would just do this. They'd be like, well, our stores are closed. So, you know, good luck to you. We're not paying. And uh, once that started to hit mainstream news, there became a list of retailers who were basically telling garment workers, we're not going to pay for our clothing. And it was a lot of retailers. And through public pressure, many of them did circle back and go, oh, actually, we will pay for this. <laughs> Sorry, wow. we didn't realize we misplaced our pocketbook. But there's still some brands on the list, for sure. Still a good portion of brands on the and list. Who are the, and who are the five big kind of offenders in the pay-up list uh, that you can think I of? Don't, I don't know currently, but as I mentioned, I, Urban Outfitters, which is an umbrella brand, and they own, you know, Free People, Anthropology. Don't do it. Don't do it. You know, um, so and it, it sucks because, you know, Anthro will be like, oh, we're sustainable. We're working with all these sustainable brands as well as Urban Outfitters. They'll buy from sustainable brands, but in their operations and how they treat people, there's nothing sustainable about that company just because they're purchasing from a brand that I enjoy that is actually sustainable. And that's where I think the confusion comes in because some of the clothing that you're going to see in a store like that, some of it will come from independent brands that you'll like and think are cool. But a lot of what is supplemented is clothing produced by the company um, to sit alongside those brands to make you think that what they're producing also has equal value. But in actuality, a lot of that clothing the garment workers who made it weren't paid for it, but you can actually just find the full list online. If you Google pay up fashion, it'll come up for you off the top of my head. I don't know everyone who's currently on the list, but at the beginning of the pandemic, it was a great many of every high street brand, you know? Wow. Um, and so public pressure does actually have an impact. Now the negative impact is something like brands, you know, going, I'm not going to pay for this is that a lot of garment workers went hungry throughout the pandemic, because if you already are working on starvation wages, and let's be honest, that's what a lot of those wages are. And you take that away, you have starvation left, you know? So it was a real grisly, horrible thing that happened. And the most disgusting part about this is we talked about earlier in the conversation, the obvious people go after the Amazons and by all means go after Bezos, fuck that guy. But um, people don't realize at the top of these fast fashion brands, you have quite a few billionaires as well, right? So like the money that is owed to garment workers in situations like that, someone like Stefan Pearson, who owns H&M, could sneeze that out his nostril. You know what I mean? It's, it's incidental money to him. So why on earth are brands allowed to operate that way? The, the guy who owns Zara, also a billionaire. His daughter is also a billionaire. The family that owns H&M, they have five billionaires in it. The Waltons, who own Walmart, richest family in America used to be the richest family in the world. And so people look to 
you know, we, we look around and we see one boogeyman and that's Bezos and like Elon Musk. And that's fine. But like realize that it is not just them. Like if you think that purchasing from that store that has no ethics is harmless, it, it's not true, especially when you don't need to buy the things. You're just making a rich person richer at the top and maintaining a system where the garment worker might not get paid if a global pandemic happens. And that's messed up. People were even like applauding brands on the pay up list during the pandemic for like making things like mask and PPE. And I just thought, wait, these people didn't pay garment workers, but they've obviously contracted another factory to do this thing so that they look good, but they're still on the pay up list. Whew. Yeah, it's kind of a, so, so, so yeah. it's the main actions people can take. Yeah, so yeah, the sense of solutions because sense of solution is it's, like, it's a quagmire of um, of doom and gloom. Of doom and gloom. But for anyone listening who kind of goes, I'm in. I want to join this cause. I want slow fashion. I want connection. I want local. I want to celebrate diversity. What are solutions? Like you mentioned, Sojo was good one. You mentioned yeah, that market in Ghana. The first thing, the first thing you could do, it cost all of us nothing to slow down. That has been the, the, the theme that we keep coming back to. You know, we have to realize that consumerism, whether or not we like it, is a part of our culture. And many of us participate in passive consumerism without even recognizing that we are. Look at who you're following on social media. Look at the apps on your phone. Look at what social media encourages you to do. If you find yourself staying up at midnight, buying clothing you don't even need and you don't know why, and then you feel weird about it, maybe investigate some of those habits. And that's something that every single one of us can do. And then the next thing I would say is learn how to repair things. That's something that all of us can do. You know, there's so many YouTube tutorials online that are so easy and accessible. And then learn how to look for quality in the store, right? We're all going to have different price points that are accessible to us, but you know, if you can spend a bit more money on your clothing, recognize if you're that person. I'm definitely that person. I don't think that a dress should be under 50 pounds, to be honest, a new dress. If it's on sale, whatever. But I like to find new young brands that are socially minded that I can put my money behind. And I spend more time researching that than I do looking at a website that is offering me 2000 dresses where I know that for a fact that they can't prove that they paid anyone who made those dresses. Now I reinvest that time into participating in slow fashion, whether that's learning about new brands or hanging out on Instagram and looking at, you know, participating in Instagram lives with people and listening to what people talk about, where they shop and companies they like to support. It is a cultural shift. Fast fashion has delivered everything on a plate to us so quickly that we don't even think about what we're doing. And to change is to basically just slow down in a lot of different ways. You know, if you want to quit for at least two weeks and say, I'm going to do a no buy two weeks. That alone is enough to sort of recalibrate and to be like, okay, maybe I can't move away from fast fashion, but I'm looking at the system differently. And maybe I don't need to go on this website every single week to see what's new. You know, it's about the cultural change. I, I don't think that, you know, any of us can just do it alone, but making those small changes, you're going to find 
that it completely changes how you look at everything. And read my book if you need a little bit of help, because I've got a lot of suggestions in there. And then if you really get deep into the topic, check out some of the current legislation that's happening surrounding, you know, regulating the fashion industry. In the UK, we have the Fixing Fashion Report. Um, in the state of New York, there's currently a law that's being pushed about regulating the fashion industry. In California, there's also been laws. Things like Germany's planned obsolescence pushback, that's something that's good to follow because we should all be talking about ending planned obsolescence in all of our parts of the world. So there's so many ways to tie into this conversation but reading books by people like Naomi Klein and Noam Chomsky, that's also something that you could do. Read Fashionopolis by Dana Thomas. Read more than you shop. You know, that's, I think we can all just stand to be a little bit more educated in this system. And that's not going to come quickly. But you know what? Reading books automatically slows you down. <laughs> Good here, one. Here. Jeez, your, your social media is very good as well. Like you've got some really beautiful messages in it and it's very zeitgeist. So that's a great place. If anyone Today we're talking to about self-care. We're talking about self-care that costs you nothing, you know, and we're talking about checking in on friends. I think it's all about getting back to the root of what makes us happy without consumerism. And then when there comes a time where you absolutely have to buy something, Make the best decision you can with the knowledge that you have. I'm not going to show up and shame you if you have to buy underpants from a store that doesn't have a great track record. But, you know, you don't have to pick up, you know, a whole new summer wardrobe while you're there, especially if your summer wardrobe from last year is still great. Yeah. yeah. I was Look. thinking with your 68 items that the average person buys 68 items, does socks come into it? Because I know like socks, I, I put holes through my socks where they turn into like, you know, wristbands, like quite quickly um, I, uh, and like you know, you know i'd probably go to, through 10 pairs of socks a year i'd say at least i got that fact when i was researching the book and i think clothing items they're particularly talking about like jeans t-shirts you know i think socks and underpants are something that i generally feel like people really tend to get their wear out of it the system of fast fashion isn't someone who's like oh, these socks aren't cool anymore. I guess I have to get rid of them and move on to the new trendy socks. It's more like, oh, I need a new dress to be photographed this weekend. You know, it's more of a system than socks. But you can learn how to darn your socks. Yeah, yeah, that's a good one. Yeah, that's a great There's one. There's a go. There's a go. First day. Yeah. Yeah. I love <laughs> it. I love what you do. I really in, do. In terms of your book and people to learn more about you, Aja, where can they find out more? Where yes. would you like to send people? So my book is called Consumed. It is available worldwide. It should be. Um, I am on Instagram. My name is Aja Barber. And I support my work through Patreon because you can't really be like... <laughs> a thorn in the fashion industry side and then asking the fashion industry to pay you to promote yourself on Instagram. So my work is promoted through Patreon where every day you will get news articles and information to help you be a more informed citizen of the world in regards to consumer goods. And so those are the places to find me. I'm pretty feisty on Twitter, but I don't try and hang out there too much because Twitter can be very bad vibes. Um, but uh, yeah, that's me. I'm around. Great. Love You're it. Great. <laughs> Thanks, Asha. Thanks so I much for taking I look forward to meeting you when we go to the UK at some stage. 
I hope you really like that. I think Ash's message boiled down to one line is buy less stuff. And interesting enough, like her core message there, which came, which we came out with was slow down. And that's been what me and Steve have written the last couple of years as our goals for the year, but I found it very difficult to apply. And I guess this, what we talked about here is the intersection between globalization, colonialism, consumerism, and climate change, massive, massive, big issues. And I guess slowing down, I think it's so relevant to certainly and, most people. And, I know. and for me, that sense of, there we go again, my favorite word, connecting to ourselves, understanding where our stuff comes from, understanding someone actually made. And I think the more we as individuals can actually follow that, that process, the more we actually appreciate things more. So one thing I'm going to try to do over the course of this year is to make a piece of fabric myself. So as in like literally find out where the hell wool comes from and knit a jumper, but actually go through the steps. So I, I understand it. Good on you. Yeah. Okay, there, there's a bit of social accountability. Uh, okay. Yeah. I'm going to do luck it. with that one anyway. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and on the topic of climate change, uh, the two biggest things you can do to positively impact and have a. For two of the most biggest. Two of the biggest of things the most you can biggest, do. The biggest, hugest, massivest things you can do as an individual is, is number one, eat a plant based diet. And number two is to waste less food. And our new book, which is called The Veg Box. It comes out in June. It's all plant-based and it's all about helping you to waste less food because 30% of the foods that people, that you statistically uh, buy every week in the stores of the supermarket is wasted. So this book is based on he- teaching you how to waste less and to eat more plant-based and to take more responsibility. We're really proud of anyway and it is available to pre-order uh, link down below. Yeah, and if you don't want a physical copy it is available on Kindle too. So there we go. Um, thanks for making it this far in the podcast. We really, really appreciate it. Big shout out to Sarah Fawcett and Shawnee Cahill who produce and edit and upload this podcast to make it all possible and most and foremost thank you to you. We're really, really grateful. If you if you did enjoy this please share it on social media. Just tag us on Instagram stories and we We'll reshare it because I really want to try to get this message out to as many people as we can. So thank you very much. I'm wishing you a wonderful day ahead. Bye. 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 Bye.